primary care knowledge boost, primary care networks. Hello and welcome back to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. Today we're talking about primary care networks, or PCNs as you'll hear us referring to them as. These are relatively new to us all in primary care, but I'm sure lots of us will have heard of them or know about them or are involved with them. Um, So we're trying to cater for all different levels. Um, But for those of us that are reasonably new, they can take a bit to get your head around them. Um, So we're really grateful for Dr Girish Patel and Vicky Tolliday for taking the time to speak to us today about them. Yep, they're both clinical directors of their PCNs um, and they talk to us about what a PCN is, what the roles are of the people in it, um, how the funding works, what DESAs are and some examples of the pros and cons of the restructuring. We learnt quite a lot from just taking it from the start and, and asking them some of the basics. So we hope you find it useful too. So, uh, shall we start with introductions? Uh, would you mind both introducing yourselves for the listeners? So Girish, if you'd like to go first and then maybe Vicky. Hello, my name is Dr. Girish Patel. I am a GP in Swinton in Salford and I'm the clinical director for the Swinton Primary Care Network. Hi, my name is Vicky Tolliday. I'm a nurse and I'm also a director of a social enterprise which runs GP practices called Better Health Manchester. And I'm also a PCN clinical director as well. Fantastic. Um, so we're going to start this discussion about primary care networks from complete str- scratch, essentially. So we won't assume that the audience knows anything. Uh, it's always better that way. So if, if you imagine both of you that you're talking to someone who knows absolutely nothing about PCNs, can you explain what they are structurally and why they exist? Yeah, primary care networks are a thing that came in July 2019 and they are a kind of uh, a mechanism to enable local practices to join together in one network and work together to improve the health of their population. And one of the aims is to uh, to be used as a vehicle to re- recruit all these additional new roles, which we'll allude to later. So that's what I see primary care networks as. Vicky, do you have any thoughts? Um, yes, yeah, so as Girish said, really, they're groups of practices working together and it's about working at scale. So in what you might call neighbourhoods in Manchester, we would call them neighbourhoods. Most are geographically quite close to each other, although not all of them. And they've got groups of clinicians and wider staff. And as Girish said, really coming together to improve the care of the population. And it's also about partnership working. It's about bringing change, hopefully, across the whole system to improve population health. Yeah, that local ownership. Yes. Um, so that I guess that's kind of the why and then geographically how they um, structurally are set up. Is there any other structures within PCNs that it's worth kind of knowing about kind of internally? In, in the PCN, so you've got, you've got the clinical director who kind of provides leadership to the members of the PCN and encourages the practice to work together. Uh, some of the PCNs have employed business managers who do a lot of the day-to-day stuff to do, uh, to do with the employment of the new roles. And also there's direct and end services which have to be delivered. So the clinical director will lead on them. You might employ someone who could be a head of PCN. So, so there's other managers you, you could actually employ in those roles to help you. Okay. What, what used to be there before PCNs? Was there anything? But in, in that vacuum, no, there wasn't anything. I mean, you know, some practices agreed to kind of work together, but there was nothing formalised. There was no network agreement signed. So it's kind of consolidated all that really. And it's put an emphasis, you have to work together basically because some of the services can only be delivered across a network. It can't be done by a single practice, you see. So it's a good mechanism to get people to work together, share best practice and improve population health of their registered patients. 
Yeah. Um, so we have kind of alluded to that there and I've, I've preempted the next question myself by asking another question. But um, what are the main roles within um, within PCNs and, and what are their kind of jobs? What, what are they responsible for? Well, in terms of the people, let, let's start with the additional roles. Yeah, so there's additional roles reimbursement scheme. Uh, and every year you've been employed, able to employ uh, different staff. You know, at first it was limited in the first year. To, we could only recruit clinical pharmacists and social link prescribing workers. But after meetings uh, with the government and NHS England, they decided that widening it out to every year you can employ more and more roles. I mean, I've got, I've got a list of the roles here. So we've got clinical pharmacists, social link prescribers. We can also employ pharmacy technicians, uh, mental health workers we can employ from this year. We've got our first contact physiotherapists, occupational therapists, dietitians, podiatrists, nursing associates, and physicians associates, and also para, yeah, paramedics. Yeah, so I think there's about eleven roles now. I don't know. There may be plans to extend it next year, but it's a it's a five year kind of contract, so to speak, for for, for PCNs from 2019 up to 23, 24. And in terms of PCNs, what happens is um, the funding comes for those specific new clinical roles. So it, the funding scheme is intended to cover only new staff. So I think it's, that's an important distinction rather than existing roles. And networks have their own flexibility so they can decide how they want to employ, um, who they want to recruit. And it's about building up that team of PCN staff who focus on, you know, supporting the GP and the clinical team and also some of that more non-medical support. So it's really about building up and utilising those additional roles to help with essentially what's been a workforce shortage in general practice yeah so essentially um it's like the the practices are all uh, kind of a network together and then there's this almost central team that serves all of the practices that are in that network is that would that be right that that would correct Lisa and it's for the network itself to decide how they will distribute the staff you see so if you've got four practices the same size you might think well if you employed a pharmacist uh we, each practice could use in one day a week, you know, for example. But if there's a larger practice than a small one, you know, you might base it on the list size. So it's, it's you know, it's, it's for the PCN to work out what's the fairest use of the additional staff and resources. So then if you have a PCN, um, if you imagine like a standard one, um, what would it look like? So if you're sort of in a PCN meeting, would that be a, a representative from each practice within that? network sort of sat well it would have been sat around a table sat around an electronic table <laughs> but you'd have the clinical director and the business manager potentially as well is that kind of what it would look like that's what it would look like yes that's Sarah. yes so you'd have the clinical director who may or may not chair the meeting the a business manager any other managers a practice manager from each of the practices and yeah and we'd expect a lead clinician from each each of the practices in the network as well you know to bring the clinical voice up there practice and stuff yeah you'd have a set agenda probably meet monthly i guess and then there's direct hand services we can talk about later which you you know you're trying to achieve all these new services and, and there's targets to be met and some of the payment to the network depends on meeting the targets as a group you see yeah we will i think we'll come on to that when we talk a little bit about money <laughs> so i wanted to talk a little bit about the um the clinical director role because uh, it's a little bit new um and obviously vicky you're quite unusual in a way in that um you're a nurse that's taken that role on which is amazing and it's good to see that diversity so i thought maybe we could ask how both of you got involved in becoming the clinical director and what your what that role involves so um yeah it is unusual in that i'm a nurse as a clinical director and there's only about 14 of us in the country out of 1250 so we are quite rare wow. um which 
which is is a shame really because we want we want to have more of them i and i got really involved in um pcn because as a nurse there's not often particularly as a nurse in general practice there's often that lack of career structure so um this was came at a really good time for me when i was looking for something else to kind of step into as well as complement my existing role so yeah it's, it was really attractive in that it's it's a role that can be done part-time so I can keep on my other commitments. I can still remain clinical um, and hopefully remain credible and on the shop floor, but something that I can step into to do something a bit different really. And what's been really, really joyful actually is working with other practices, but also wider than the PCN. So working with other PCNs and other CDs has been a really positive mm-hmm. thing. And I think we're getting people together across, you know, whole systems really in a way that we haven't done before. So that that's a real positive for me. How I got involved was, yeah, um, I used to work for an, uh, a GP federation in, in Salford locally as a neighbourhood lead, you know, looking after the, the practice. And that came to an end just as this, you know, as this role became available. So I applied for it. I had to be interviewed by all four practices and stuff. So it was like uh, being elected, you see. So I had to make election promises that this is what I'm going to do. Uh, in terms of um, what's really happened, it's changed a lot because we're having a lot more meetings with our other system providers, having to have a lot of small meetings with our local hospital trust, city council, the community voluntary sector, the Mental Health Foundation. So the, 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 the job has actually mushroomed. It's a lot more hours than I signed up for initially, but I'm enjoying it. Yeah. I was just trying to think about what, what it would look like as, as a job. So is it mostly at the minute kind of electronic meetings and um, just trying to almost set the vision for the PCN? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, electronic meetings on Teams. And there are some small face-to-face ones when you've got to interview the new staff or, you know, the new roles and stuff. And then you need to have some meetings with your business manager and stuff to talk about your strategy and your vision. We've just published an annual report setting out what we've achieved in the last 12 months and what we're hoping to do in the next 12 months as well. So there's a lot of strategy as well. And it does require leadership and input, you know, from a business manager as well to help me. I couldn't do my role if I didn't have a business manager. It just wouldn't be possible. And is that the same for you, Vicky, pretty much in your PCN? Yeah, yeah, similar. Yeah, and I think Girish kind of picked up on some of the, the challenges there. Certainly time is the biggest challenge and PCNs are seen as being this, you know, the answer to everything and, you know, they're really important, but they're certainly not the answer to everything. And if you want to do something, you ask, you seem to ask a clinical director to be involved no matter what it is. So you can be quite pulled in, in lots of different directions. So I think, you know, for me, I, I try and recognize that, you know, PCNs have got massive potential, but they're still in their infancy. They're new. They've got those limited resources and, and in some of them quite inexperienced leaders. So I think there's, we're still in the early stages and we need to recognize that to get the benefit from them, it's probably going to be over the longer term rather than the short term, you know, because we've only been doing it for two, three years. So I think, yeah, the next 12 months in particular are going to be really, really challenging. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting restructure. Something that occurs to me as we're talking is how does it fit in with CCGs? I personally feel it's not the right thing to be getting rid of clinical commissioning groups, but that's what's happening. So by the 1st of April 2022, there'll be no clinical commissioning groups, which means all the multitude of commissioning functions they do will be done by other organisations, which are, you know, still in existence now. And we as PCN clinical directors are really trying hard to get on on all the local boards that will kind of that's where the power will be based. The important thing is that primary care continues to have a strong voice. I think a lot of clinical doctors are worried with the abolition of CCG, that voice will be lost. Yeah, that, that voice is so important. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, as clinical directors, our views are really, really important to drive the change that we need for those better outcomes. And it's really going to be imperative that we maintain that strong PCM voice in these new structures, really to ensure, as Girish says, that primary care is protected and represented, but also, as you know, strengthened going forward. Yeah. Um, and then thinking about, because the podcasts we do uh, are a lot for uh, people coming into general practice from all walks of life. Um, thinking about the GP fellows and the nurse fellows um, and all the additional roles. Are there other other methods other than the kind of board for sort of getting involved in your PCM? I guess, uh, Sarah, for, for example, would be like we've got a, like a local pharmacist and he's become like the, the sort of PCM lead for our area. So we invite him to meetings. He's got some projects he wants to, for example, he wants to reduce drug waste. So we're going to get all four practices involved with reducing drug wastage so yeah people are welcome to come to our meetings so uh you know the the traditional invite is your business managers and your clinical leads from each practice but nothing is to stop other people staff who are interested to attend you have a practice nurse wanted to come or healthcare system they will be welcome to come along the projects sound interesting are they something that's kind of ad hoc that different members of the pcn might sort of want to set that agenda and and follow them up yeah so the, the so the business manager will they are business managers like have their own ops meetings as well. So they do a lot of the doing. They decide on projects. And then you can go back to your practice and see if someone wants to volunteer to do something, you see. So members of staff can involved. People looking for extra hours, they can get involved in something. And we can also recruit people to do bespoke projects for us, you know, because we have management allowance, so we can pay them to do a few hours of work on something that's important for the PCN. So they've got a flexibility to have sort of paid additional work for different projects, yeah. Um, I think I'd really encourage, you know, people to get involved because these are your PCNs essentially, you know, so make them your own, shape them. It's about collaborating um, and, you know, we want staff at all levels to contribute to that and staff have been contributing. You only have to look at the last 12 months to, to look at the contribution of all of staff in general practice. I think, you know, even at a basic level, just talking and linking up with colleagues in other practices in your PCN and networking is is good and that sharing ideas and just supporting each other um, is a great first step. So, yeah, I think we know that, you know, working on our own and in silos doesn't work. We we want colleagues to get together to start to think about what they can do as a team to improve people's health. Um, and I think that, you know, that collaborative approach is going to be more important now than ever as we try and, you know, look at the impact of COVID and reduce health inequalities. Definitely. And if someone was sitting out there listening to um, this episode today and thinking, oh gosh, I would actually quite like to maybe get involved, who would be the best person within the PCN to get in touch with? I think it'd be best to email or ring the business manager, email them and ask them what they think and then it can be discussed. Fabulous. Lovely. So sort of thinking of the structure and things, uh, who does the PCN answer to? That's a good question. I think you probably ultimately have to answer to NHS England. That's, that's who our kind of contracts are with. It's a lot of the work is done through the CCG, but it's the NHS thing that who we answer to. So the key thing about this contract is that it's, it's although it's PCNs, it's actually yeah practices that are accountable to the commissioner for those network services. So practice individually sign what we call a network agreement, and that's a legally binding agreement between practices, and it sets out how they'd go about the responsibilities, how they discharge those responsibilities in the network. So it is it is interesting that it's a PCN, but it's on a practice basis. And the PCNs use that agreement to kind of look at what the wider objectives would be, what they want to work on um, and who their partners are. But also I think PCNs are going to start to be more accountable to their communities as well. And um, there's going to be a bigger focus on that and also to their to their staff as those numbers grow. 
That's interesting. I didn't realize that there wasn't kind of like a PCN kind of contract, but it was so it's at practice level. It's worth probably at this point mentioning about DESs and sort of network contracts. So a DES is classed as a direct uh, enhanced service, yeah, which is offered to the, the practices in the PCN. And uh, in the first uh, in the first couple of years, we, we've had uh, three. We've got structured medication reviews where someone who's on multiple uh, medications should have a review with a clinical pharmacist who's, with, who's suitably trained to see are they on the right medications? Is there some that they shouldn't be on? Can we rationalize and optimize their doses? We have the care homes desk, which only applies to practices that have patients in care homes, you know, residential and nursing care homes. And they have to have a review. It doesn't have to be face-to-face. It can be telephone or video uh, on a regular basis just to optimize their care as well. So that's, that's happening. It's quite a lot of work. And then we've got the early cancer diagnosis. And the plan is to um, try and pick up people at early stages, you know, in their journey. So a lot of that focus will be on the screening, you know, maximize uptake of cervical screening, bowel screening and breast screening. You know, so those are the three. There were plans initially to have five. There, there, there was going to be a anticipatory care and reducing health inequalities. Now, because of the pandemic, those were scaled down and rightly so. But my feeling is perhaps in October, we might be landed with more deses. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I don't know if Vicky wants to add anything. I mean, I think you've covered them. I think there's going to be four more, isn't there, coming um, um, in the next year or two. And some of them have been delayed due to COVID and COVID vaccine. But I think Giresh has summarised it well there. And um, are the deses the same nationwide? Yes, yeah, so they're national specifications. Yeah, that's really important to highlight. Grand. Um, and I guess that probably leads a little bit on to the money. <laughs> so I've got a question about, um, we've just said who controls the money, but I guess what we kind of want to know is where does the money come from? What kind of ties are associated with that money? And um, then within the PCN, um, how does the kind of money work for funding um, those roles? For the roles, the um, the money will come from Ministries England and uh, it's it, it kept by them unless it's... Uh, until it's time to be for it to be pulled down. If the CCG will pull it down on your behalf, uh, they can pull down 60% of the money for each of the roles. And then I think if they need more, I think they've got to ask for it. Uh, each each PCN has to do a workforce submission every year. And we've had to do one now for the up to 23, 24. And we'll put on it each year who we want to recruit, pharmacists, paramedics, etc. cetera. Uh, send it to CCG. They kind of approve it. And they have to look at things Locally as well, you know, what's available, what training places are there. And then, uh, you know, then you have to put out, go out to advert and see who you can get. The only problem we've had so far, we've been slow off the mark. We've got through six months or nine months and not actually recruited anyone. So we've lost nine months of funding. So a lot of that funding has not been used up at all, which is a real shame. And Vicky, anything different in kind of your area? No, no, it's exactly the same. So the funding that you get um, includes money to support the running of the network, but it also includes the money for the additional staff, the ARRS staff. You, ha- you have to be part of the network to get that funding. And it, it actually channels through a single bank account. So it's usually one of the practices in the network. They get the funding and then divvy it out. And yeah, as Giver said, it's really important that you do spend the money because otherwise you don't, you can't get that money if you don't spend all of it. So if you don't recruit to all of those roles, that money goes somewhere else and is lost to primary care which is a shame we were really lucky that my own network we managed to spend we actually slightly overspent um, but we managed to spend all of that money um, but you know it, it as that grows every year it, it's a it's a big amount of money to spend and you have to be really quite proactive and forward planning and think about it early because of every other network in the country is also recruiting to those same roles 
so each of the individual practices doesn't have to contribute anything kind of monetarily to the PCN. It just all it comes from NHS England. Well, actually, uh, Lisa, so the money for the roles is 100% reimbursable. So you get that money, but sometimes there's an allowance which you would have to pay for on your own, you see. Okay. For example, if you want to recruit some paramedics or first contact uh, physiotherapists and you go to a private company to recruit them, they often charge a management allowance. That is not included. So the practices do have to use use some of their own money for that. Okay, grand. This is great. So we've got next on um, our questions are about thinking about the examples of uh, when PCNs of, of how it can work really well. Can both of you kind of think of, of examples of a PCN or the pros? So some uh, examples that might demonstrate how they work well? Yeah, I mean, I think the most topical one is probably COVID vaccine, um, COVID vaccination. So I don't think if PCNs had been in place, I'm not sure how quickly would have got that national vaccination service up and running so quickly. I think, you know, COVID vaccine is a really shining example of a PCN led service. And certainly in Manchester, 80% of all the COVID vaccines have been given in those local vaccination centres run by PCNs and practices, which I think is just a phenomenal achievement. And what's been brilliant about that experience is, so the one that I've been involved in, in leading is that it's it's been three PCNs working together so 17 practices coming together on that wider scale to provide that service and I guess COVID in general has also been a really good example of PCNs you know responding and getting things done and they've responded as active participants really I think in the system and as real advocates for their community and one of the things that we've we've been doing as a, a specific example in our own network is that we've realized that we call some patients hard to reach and it's not that they're hard to reach patients it's that we've probably got some hard to reach services so what we're doing is shifting that focus and looking at what we can do in my network to make services more attractive but also more accessible so one of the things we've done is partnered with our local art gallery which isn't something we would have done pre-PCNs um, and what we're doing we've got a gardening club we're going to start running some group consultations in the gallery setting which is local to us so it's a fabulous building for the community People will be able to look at the artifacts as they do their group consultations. They'll be able to look at costumes and, you know, think about how they can tell a story, how they might share. It might make them feel more comfortable being in that that supportive, creative space. So there's lots of things you can do as a PCN and bringing people together. And we've involved our social prescribers in that as well. Oh, my gosh, that changed the dynamic so much and the kind of the thinking, taking it out of a you know a practice context in a boardroom type environment to, to bring it into something so much more creative and interesting amazing so sarah in in, in my area we've got um, we have a federation a deep federation that's delivering the kind of bulk of the of the vaccinations but we as four practices have decided that uh, we couldn't wait for them to deliver the, the housebound visits so we just took that upon ourselves ask them for the ask them for the vaccinations you know we went around to all our patients on housebound they've all had their first dose and some of them are having their second dose now so i could have only done that as a pcn because we've gone around in teams vaccinating one another's patients you see it just made it easier to do that you see instead of having four practices roving around Swinton but yeah so we've done that and and another thing which uh, I think uh, like a good achievement is that that there's uh, something called the impact and investment fund yeah which is extra money which can be given to PCNs if they meet certain targets yeah so for example if you've got a certain amount of your patients with learning disability if they get a proper comprehensive health check you can you, you can get extra money for that. And also flu targets and an extended flu target, get money for that. We've managed to achieve those through our PCN, you know, through joint working and, and through sharing best practice, you see. Gosh, they're, yeah, they're great examples. Yeah, definitely. Um, working collaboratively has pros and cons and, and every team is 
you know, very different. So um, can you think of any con- cons of PCNs, examples where it might have been a, a tough time, but how, how you managed to tackle it? Yeah, I think perhaps all four practices weren't in my PCN. They weren't on the same page. And I think maybe my and my communication, perhaps it wasn't as comprehensive as it shouldn't be. So we had a lot of misunderstanding and people didn't really understand what we were getting at. So we had a lot of a kind of meetings where people didn't really say stuff. Then afterwards, they would we'd get all these emails saying, well, you didn't discuss this or that. So so you have to have these kind of meetings where everyone's honest and you let people you know, get stuff off their chest. And then after you've done that, things improve. Things are much better now than they've ever been in the four practices. The business managers meet every single week and they're always phoning one another for advice. So it's really brought our four practices together in a way that would not be possible without the PCNs. It wouldn't have been possible. So yeah, there are teething problems. And there, but maybe there will continue to be teething problems, I envisage, in terms of DESIs. Now, if people, one practice doesn't hit the target, no one gets paid. The other other, other practices don't get paid. So that is gonna, mm-hmm. that's going to cause issue when you talk about GP practice. And if you're going to lose a lot of money because one practice didn't hit the target and you all did, I think there's going to be some upset people. That, yeah, it could be quite challenging. I, I, I wonder whether that would encourage the collaboration more because I was wondering about, a, a, say, like if there's a, a practice in more of a deprived area with more challenges or that actually then the other practices together help pull it up. That, that's the only way, Sarah. Yeah, I would see that really as a role for the clinical director to be monitoring the DES, especially the ones like the early cancer ones and stuff, you know, for screening. So, you know, I, I think what you can ask for people where they're up to every quarter or so. And if someone's struggling, say, look, this is what we're doing at my practice. We can share best practice. And I think you are obliged to help. And you'd want to help, wouldn't you, if one of your practices was struggling? You'd want to help, you know, because it's best for them and it's best for their patients and it's best for the network as well. But I think it's a good question thinking about, you know, the, the, the more negative side of PCNs because the benefits of PCNs are certainly not automatic, are they? They, they take time and some, some alliances are at an earlier stage and not, maybe not achieved as much because they've been working on other things and had different pressures. And I think you can't ignore the financial and the estates pressures either. You know, where do we put all of these additional people? We just don't have the space in general practice to house them. So I think we're going to have quite challenging times ahead. And without quite significant investment and support PCNs could actually after after COVID start to retract and become you know quite you know inward looking rather than outward looking and innovative um you know people could get quite despondent so I think one of the challenges is going to be keeping that momentum going when we're all quite tired and we've you know we've got more work than ever to do it's it's building on that momentum and there's not quitting and not thinking this is this is hard going and, and keeping going you're absolutely right. I think I think what you said about how amazing it was to have that local ability to um, to change things and actually respond so well for COVID vaccination requirements that it's such an incredible thing. But the challenges now are completely different in terms of uh, morale and well-being, staff well-being and resilience, and how we're all feeling. So I wonder, on a PCN level, I guess everyone's going to be feeling that from all levels and, and whether the PCN can be used to try and help that. It's, it's a really, it's a very challenging time. One of our practices decided that staff welfare is important. So they've paid for this service where they can access counselling and all sorts of stuff free 24 hours a day. It costs money, but it's a good investment. So my, my practice thought, oh, that's good. I told them, why don't we get this? And we've got it as well. So, you know, sometimes it's worth investing in your staff because they are your biggest resource. So you've got to look after them. Definitely all people are going to fall by the wayside, I'm afraid. That's another nice example of probably sharing that you might not have necessarily done before a PCN. It's interesting with PCNs. I think the whole thing of deserts and that you get this designated areas to work within, but then you also have locally your own 
challenges that you can focus on. I think that's a really interesting kind of flex and not. Do you do you have much um, ever have any kind of pushback because COVID's been so remarkable? Are you able to say that's a completely outrageous ask of us, or you know some of the targets, or is there much input from the PCNs around targets? In ter- yeah, in terms of targets, uh, uh, our job has been made easier. Uh, because what's happened is that the QAF was sort of suspended, so we didn't have to do a lot of our quality outcomes framework, which is an incentive scheme, you know, to provide good care to people with chronic conditions. And also a lot of places, a lot of clinical commission groups have said, look, you are really, really busy with COVID. So any local in- incentive scheme that they have, you know, where they pay you to do extra work, they said, look, we'll suspend it. We'll kind of give you the money, but you have the time off to go and deliver the vaccination program, etc. And extra funding has been av- made available to the clinical director to help with the vaccination campaign. So some extra money came in from January to March and we're going to get some for the next six months. So lots of things have happened to take into account the COVID pandemic. So yeah, we normally end with um, kind of take-home points, um, essentially just a couple of lines about what you want the listeners to take away most from the chat we've had today. Yeah, so I feel uh, PCNs are the new kids on the block. They need to be taken seriously. We are trying our hardest to get a strong voice for primary care. And I think I think we've got a chance of doing it because we've been invited to loads and loads of meetings by our local trusts, the council, clinical commission groups, mental health trusts. And really, I think the best way to improve uh, the health is to do it at, at a neighborhood level, you know, looking after 30 to 50,000 patients. You know your patients. You know what they need. And I would encourage people in the practice to get involved with your primary care network. If you've got a good idea or something, something innovative, why don't you contact the business manager and make a pitch and see, get involved and make it a stronger PCN. Excellent. I think my take would be, I mean, you know, PCNs so far, still in their early stages, have really overcome many challenges together, particularly in recent months. You know, we've turned primary care on its head whilst maintaining core services. We've run the largest vaccination programme in NHS history. So there's lots and lots to be celebrated. And I guess the marathon is not over and that recovery is going to be long, but there are lots of things to be positive about. And I think the, the really positive thing is staff um, and the value of staff in PCNs and that's all roles in general practice. Everybody does such a really skilled job and general practice is that golden thread that runs through the whole health system and PCNs and staff are a, a really valuable part of that. So I think I'd just echo what Girish said is which is get involved um, if you've got an idea, if you want to be involved in PCNs then yeah we'd love to hear from you. Oh, Thank you both so much for taking the time to speak to us today. This has been so great. Pleasure. So yeah, that was that was really lovely to chat to um, Girish and Vicky today. Quite enlightening, I think. Um, what did you take away, Sarah? Yeah, um, it's a dry topic. These are part of our um, structure of the NHS um, sort of leadership and how the NHS works on a bigger scale. Uh, aimed podcasts, um, but it's always really. Um, I'm always really um, surprised by how much I get out of them. That actually, I'd, you know, the deeper understanding of how everything works and how how you can get involved in them um it's really it's really interesting and it's it's very very good to know <laughs> so I, i've written down a few um yeah going through the structure that there's a director and that you can have um business managers as well um and sort of understanding how collaborative working can help um sort of national goals be then met on a local level or using local resources and understanding what's best for their population yeah i really liked that yeah, it was great. No, I agree. One of my points was um, that I just thought it was really interesting that like kind of that core 
kind of aim or um, outcome perhaps more is that collaboration and sharing and learning from each other that um, kind of pre-PCNs you do look back and you think yeah that didn't really happen very well um, did it like practices didn't speak very much to each other and and good practice wasn't shared very well but if you think about practices sitting within the same kind of geographical area they're bound to have some of the similar problems to face so just that working together and and even if you don't do projects as a PCN level just sharing well this works really well for me and maybe taking it on across the PCN it just you can see how it's going to work better for patient care. Yeah I imagine it's um, a lot of variation and kind of ironing out lots and lots of you know working within a team uh, at a practice level can be can be challenging and then sort of scale that up that can also be challenging but the fact that it's still local and that it's people that understand their population hopefully yeah like they say it's going to be (laughs) long-term rewards Um, but yeah Um, I really liked hearing more about DESs as well the directed enhanced services um, because you hear a lot about them um, and then sort of thinking about how that's the approaches of of those what they are um, was interesting the kind of three that have been uh, ongoing with med reviews from pharmacists and then care home practices um, and early diagnosis of cancer targets. Um, but yeah, it's quite interesting to hear about them. Yeah, exactly. And also the fact that there's that freedom um, for the for the PCNs to decide kind of other things that they want to do and that they want to focus on. Um, and the fact that you can get involved, like I thought that was excellent. And the fact that it doesn't have to be any particular um, kind of job role within primary care if anybody within the team if they've got an idea or they've got something that they're interested in or they want to do a little bit more in a different kind of place then it sounds like it's a really good idea to get in touch with your your PCN um, to see if you can kind of pitch something or if they've got a project that needs doing um, it just seems like it's a good avenue to be able to explore. Yeah loads of quality improvement remits yeah. And then I was also um, just, uh, it was really surprising, I think. I I knew that it was quite rare for there to be um, nurses at the head of of the the networks. But the fact that there was only 14 was actually probably a lot smaller than I was expecting there to be. Um, Yeah, she said out of 14 out of 1,250, I think. Yeah, it was something like that. It was a huge number. And you just think that it's such a shame because there are so many great nurses out there that would be perfect in that kind of role. So I'm hoping that showcasing what Vicky's doing might encourage some people to, to want to get involved in that sort of leadership role. Yeah, I think supporting the best assets of your staff you know, everyone from different roles can have different qualities. Yeah, sort of looking at at your assets is the way forward. Yeah, lovely. So if you'd like to get in touch, um, you can do. You can email us at primarycarepodcasts at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at PCKB Podcast. Yep. And we also have a survey, um, which we've actually changed recently. So it's no longer a SurveyMonkey link, um, but the link is still in the episode description um, and it's the exact same survey. So it should only take a minute or two if you want to fill that out for us as well. Yeah. Thank you to some really lovely ones that have come through recently. So that's been great. And also we've put a couple of links on the episode description that just explain a bit more about PCNs if you'd like to have a look at them as well. Till next time. On Primary Care Knowledge Boost. Hey guys, just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public. This was recorded in Greater Manchester in 2021. 
guidelines can vary by location as well as over time so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before making treatment decisions. Uh, The content is based on our interviewee's opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast. Check out the episode description for full details and any links that we've mentioned in the episode.